Sad. Amen. Amen. I want to set the stage as we turn to Daniel chapter 6. And you can put it up, Daniel 6 verse 10. But before I read that verse, I just want to set the stage for what happened in Babylon. If if supposedly 2023 America might resemble, whether metaphorically or digitally, some form of Babylon, I think it's important to look at the people of God and how they responded. So what you had is Jerusalem was invaded by Babylon, and they took people um, really is almost like prisoners of war or people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. These were some of the royal family who were like taken into captivity and they were pretty smart. They took the brightest, the most educated, the healthiest, and they, they brought them in close. And the king was named Darius at the time. So um, Nebuchadnezzar has already happened and, and, and so on. But, but we get to the point of Darius in Daniel 6. And he is the king of Babylon. He's appointed 120 leaders. It's as if their country's grown. And he's like, look, I can't lead everyone. I can't be everything. So I'm going to take 120 of you and I'm going to elevate you to be the leaders. And among them are Daniel. He's one of actually the three go-to leaders in Daniel 6, uh, he's loved by the king because he can interpret dreams and visions. It's almost as if he can do no wrong in the eyes of King Darius, but that uh, represents also with it comes some jealousy. The other 119 leaders, if you can imagine, since he's favored by the king, they don't like him so much. He's actually hated. So they form an investigation, and they're like, we got to catch Daniel doing something wrong. So as they they catch him doing something wrong, it's kind of like, well, they spy on him. They look, and, and he's hated. They're like, the only dirt that we can find on this guy, Daniel, is that he prays to Yahweh three times a day. His window's open. This is like the most dirt. It's like, man, they... They uncover his secrets and bring in the secrets to the light. It's like, this is what they can find. So they scheme against him. The 119 come to King Darius, and they really appeal to the king's pride. They also, I would even read into it a little bit, they appeal to some narcissism. And they say, hey, um, King Darius, what do you say if in the entire region of Babylon, if anyone prays, to anyone except you, why don't we throw him in a lion's den? And he's like, yeah, let's do it. Signs the, the, the decree. And so uh, this is what happens. And we see in Daniel 6, chapter 10, that now when Daniel learned that the decree that I just described is, if, if any, in other words, if anyone prays or bows before anyone except who? Darius, the king. What's going to happen? Thrown into the lion's den. So, verse 10, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open towards where? Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Pretty crazy. If we take any application out of this text, I think the first point this morning, if you're taking notes, is to be devoted in prayer. 
what if we at South Oaks Church were a people that it could be said, if it costs us everything, no matter what, if we're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace that's seven times hotter than normal, we're still going to be devoted in prayer. If, if a decree or a law would be such to that it would cost us our lives to bow our knee before Jesus, we're going to be devoted in prayer. Come what may, we're going to be devoted in prayer. That's what Daniel did. Here's what's powerful. This was a powerful move of evangelism. Here's why I think that was incredibly evangelistic, because Yahweh rescues Daniel. We see that the next morning the king loved Daniel, and he had the den opened, and he called out to Daniel, and God had shut the mouths of the lions. Then King Darius made a new decree, and he said, the one true God is the God of Daniel, because he shut the mouths of the lions. He survived. Surely there's a God who lives, and his name is Yahweh. He's the God above all gods, the, the king of all kings. And, and I think for all of us, we need to begin with the end in mind. And I think that when we are just really passionate about restoring the hearts to the Father, and I think what it looks like is bringing a message of humility and bringing a message of honor. And we come maybe as a younger generation today to say that thank you that we're able to stand on your shoulders. Thank you for being devoted in prayer. And you're leaving a legacy we believe that the faith of the next generation's plural is worth everything. Micah has taught me this, that you're never too young to teach and you're never too old to learn. We learned this at our house most recently with potty training. You are never, say it with me, you're never too young to teach and you're never too old to learn. Here's what our older daughter taught us when Micah asked our older daughter, Aurora. We said, hey, babe, uh, you want to learn how to potty train? She goes, not today, <laughs> which is actually good news. Here's why every parent knows that that's good news. She didn't say no. She said not today, which means what? Tomorrow's a new day. The next day, our older daughter was pushing the potty chair around the house saying, choo-choo. And what she taught us is that there's more than one meaning and more than one interpretation of what potty training could look like. I had not thought of that. She taught us something that morning. But you're never too young to teach. You're never too old to learn. And I think that it's humbling. What I've recognized as a parent is that my daughters teach me something new almost every day. To see life through their eyes is amazing. To see an airplane that I would have been maybe annoyed by the loud noise that it made, that's a big deal. That's something new. That's something we should watch or, or look at or stop and smell the flowers. But I think it's humbling when we realize that um, we are learning from somebody younger than us. And even today, many of you, I'm younger than you, and yet you're showing humility to say, you know what? never too young to teach, never too old to learn. And um, that's, that's just really a powerful message. The second verse I want us to look at is actually to go back because I want to ask the question, how did Daniel get there? 
How did he get there? How did he have the type of faith to where he was willing to still pray even when it would cost him his life, certainly by being thrown in a lion's den? And we see in Daniel 1, verses 6 and 7, that as these young adults were being taken into captivity, some of them were chosen who were from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And, and the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. And any time in scripture where we see somebody renamed, I've just learned to pay attention. I look in the New Testament, Saul was renamed what? And, and we see that this is something significant. Abram was renamed what? Abraham. So we see this is a theme in scripture that sometimes culture would rename them and sometimes God would rename people. But it's significant. And Daniel was willing to bow in prayer when every, everyone around him was standing. He was also willing to stand for his faith when everyone was bowing before an idol. So for the younger generation, we're called to pick up the mantle. And a non-spiritual example of this, I think is really cool. I brought a picture of uh, Ken Griffey Jr. and Ken Griffey Sr. And these were the first two that I know of in the major league baseball, in professional athletes. This was the first father and son to play in the major leagues at the same time. Get this, on the same team. How cool is that? Junior was the center fielder. Senior was the right fielder. But they legitimately played on the same team. And I mean, if you study generations at all, uh, and if you study scripture at all, we learned something, you guys. This thing called faith is generational from its origin, from its inception, from its design. And growing up, one of my favorite things to do is, if you can imagine, every day my dad got home from work at 430 I had two baseball gloves ready. And a lot of every day, every afternoon was playing catch. And last summer, they did something called the Field of Dreams game. We're in Iowa where the movie Field of Dreams was filmed. They put in a professional stadium and they played a game. But before they did it, Ken Griffey Jr. said to his dad, hey, dad, could we have a game of catch? And his dad said, I'd like that. I think that's a cool illustration of what generations look like. The old, older generation with humility, the younger generation with honor, because this thing is generational. Faith from its design and origin by God. One of the flyover scriptures that we see in Matthew 1 is the genealogy. And if we're not careful, we miss a key part of scripture, which is the generations. From generation to generation, there's been a testifying of the goodness of God in the land of the living. And uh, so how do we, how, how do we share about God's mighty acts and his marvelous deeds with a generation that's younger? Our friend, researcher, uh, he, he said this Dr. Tim Elmore, he said that Gen Z isn't looking for more sages from stages, but he said they're looking for more guides from the side. And that's a powerful picture for me because I think that young adults are craving mentorship. Young adults are craving, well, 
friends, mentors. And I just want to ask the question, when's the last time that we thought about our role to be friends, to be mentors? Because if we study this theme in Joel 2, this prophecy that is fulfilled in Acts 2, Joel said, and it's quoted in in Acts 2, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons or your young people, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young will see visions. Your old will dream dreams. And we don't want a visionless church, so we need the younger generation. We don't want a church without dreams, so we need the older generations. And have you noticed that life is fascinating? Um, About the time that you experience wisdom, your energy decreases. But about the time that you have a lot of energy, you just lack wisdom. And I just want to park at that intersection and say, hey, this thing is generational. Let's do life together. Let's build friendship. Because the church of Jesus isn't built on the talents of a few, but it's built on the sacrifices of many. It's an all-hands-on-deck call. All of us needs all of us. So how do we have the type of faith that can withstand fire? How did Daniel do it? Well, first, we're devoted in prayer. The second theme is to share about God's marvelous deeds. Can you take that as, as, as our second point today? That each of us is given a mandate in the Great Commission to share about the goodness of God, to share about God's marvelous deeds. And then as we go to the third scripture, it's because how did Daniel do it? I think we need to turn back a few pages in scripture to go to 2 Kings Chapter 22, verse 11. And I'll give you a second to get there because I know I just switched books. But we see before the exile happened in Jerusalem, before the Babylonian takeover, there was a, a, a last good king in Israel, in Judah, more specifically. He was eight years old, and his name was Josiah. And uh, we see in Daniel, or sorry, in, in 2 Kings chapter um, 22, verse 11. I'm just turning there as well. And here's what we see. Even before we get to uh, verse 11, we see like picking up in verse 8. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan who read it. Then Shaphan the secretary went to the king, age 8, named Josiah. He reported to him, your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and they've entrusted it to the workers and the supervisors at the temple. So they're trying to do what's right. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. Everybody say a book. And Shaphan read in the presence of the king. In other words, the king has never heard this book. There was a generation that didn't follow in the ways of God. And this is what the king says. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes because he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest and others in the, the attendants. He said, go and inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah and what is written about 
in this book has been found. Great is God's anger against us because those who have gone before us, in other words, the previous generation, have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with what is written concerning us. And I want you to catch it. There's kind of a tale of two generations. The first generation was the kings before Josiah. They did not follow the book. They didn't follow the message of God. Yet, when he heard about God's marvelous deeds, about his law, about his mighty acts, he tore his robes. And what I don't want us to miss is the older generation, the things that we sow, the next generation reaps. If we fast forward to where we began the message, how did Daniel... Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, how did they withstand the flames of a fiery furnace or have the faith to be sent into a lion's den? If if, if they were going to follow Yahweh, it was going to cost them something. How they did it is King Josiah's repentance and obedience opened up a window for the next generation to know God, to hear about his marvelous deeds, to hear about his mighty acts. So even when they went into exile, they knew the truth. They knew about his marvelous deeds. They continue to worship him. And so if we go in 2023, how does the next generation have hope? God is the hope of generations, and it's you and I. Tearing down idols is the third point. Let's tear down our idols. So to recap where we've been, the first thing is to be devoted in prayer. The second is to share and to testify about God's goodness. The third is to tear down idols. Because we're living in a day and an age, you guys, where people aren't reading the Bible. But they're reading our lives. They're willing to hear about our stories. These young adults living in exile would not have been able to pick up the mantle of faith if it hadn't been for one king's living and leaving a legacy for the next generation to follow. King Josiah, his obeying and repentance. It opened the possibility for faith, like a baton, to be passed to the next generation of Daniels, of Shadrachs, of Meshachs, of Abednego. And we need to have a successful transfer of faith from generation to generation. If there's one thing I want our daughters to know, if there's one thing I want Gen Z to know today, or the alpha generation, it's to know the goodness of God in the land of the living. The Sams, if you think back to that story. The prodigals that have one foot in the world and one foot following Jesus, let's not tiptoe the line. Let's live lives where we tear down our idols, where we declare God's goodness, where we stand in the gap, devoted in prayer. And the last slide I have, I think, is just four ways that we can, as the church, grow generationally. The first is friendship. What's crazy is Harvard did a study of life satisfaction. They followed graduates of Harvard who became alumni for for decades. One of the longest research studies in the world. What they found is the number one thing that gave life meaning wasn't a job title, wasn't an income level or a status symbol of choice. What it was is the quality of relationships. And I wonder if we couldn't have more intergenerational friendships where the younger asks the older for mentorship and just friendship. The second then is discipleship. 
The third way we can grow generationally is through mentorship. And lastly, through leadership. But for all of us, it's, it's not good for any of us to be alone. So we are called as the church to link arms together and to run this race. We need the wisdom and the experience of the older generation, and we need the energy, the passion, come on somebody, the zeal of the younger generation, the excitement for the things of God. We need consecration and devotion, repentance and revival, reading and doing of the word of God. It's going to cost us something like tearing down our comfort, tearing down our idols. It's going to cause for us to declare God's goodness, which might be uncomfortable for some. But I think just a a question can be non-threatening. Could you tell me your story? Could I tell you about the greatest thing that's ever happened to me? Because Jesus is the hope of generations. And this morning, church, we have hope in Jesus. And it's possible that you came in this morning uh, questioning or asking or even tuning in online, wondering, is there hope? Is there purpose? And there is purpose. And before we pray this morning, I just want to share the picture that I get this morning. You're going to hear more about him next Sunday. But it's, it's the God who meets us where we are. In the culture that we've been discussing, as you study the people throughout ancient history and in Babylon and Jerusalem, that culture, it was not common for a man to run, especially somebody older. And we see a prodigal son who had gone wayward. We see this picture. And when he had that aha moment, when he woke up to his senses to realize, I want to go home to the father, We don't see an angry father. We don't see some distant, far-off figure. What we see is a picture of a father, and we sang about it this morning in worship. His arms were open. He's able. And he actually is described by Jesus in that prodigal story as running. That's the picture of, of God this morning, is we have a father who's running with open arms, saying, come home, you're welcome. So can we bow our heads this morning in prayer? And if, if you're, um, well, like my friend, my friend Sam was, tiptoeing one foot in and one foot out or not sure if you've ever made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to turn your eyes to the hope of generations, and that's Jesus. And if you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, um, just by a show of hands, I want to pray with you. If you just raise your hand, it's awesome. I see hands and If you want to just type into the chat, I want to follow Jesus. Uh, We'll be sure to to pray with you this morning, but could we pray together? I want to pray specifically for those who, who raise their hands that you want to make Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. Maybe it's a prodigal returning home. The first thing that I want to remind you is that God loves you. It's that he has a purpose for you. And would you pray with me? Just repeat after this, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry that I've been a prodigal, that I've gone my own way, that I've sinned, that I've fallen short of your glory. I believe this morning that you are the hope of generations.
yes, God, you're the hope of generations. And I just pray, Lord God, that you would forgive me. We confess of our sins and we want to follow you, Jesus. Amen. And the second thing that we just want to do before Pastor Cindy comes and closes out, I would imagine uh, that you might know somebody who lives in your apartment. Maybe they're your neighbor. Maybe they're a coworker. It's possible that they might be one of your kids or grandkids, but um, there's this song that just says that this is the sound of prodigals coming home. Hallelujah. And uh, as we, the church, let's just take a moment and pray. And I think that there's going to be a Sunday where well, there might be somebody like Sam who walks in through these doors that we get to welcome home with open arms and I say, thanks for coming. We're glad you're here. So can we pray for the Sams, for the prodigals, for the exiles, for the nomads? I'm just gonna pause. I'll pray in just a second, but could you pray? And maybe it's you're lifting up your neighbor, Jesse, or Kara, or you're lifting up your neighbor, Chad or Sarah, or you're li lifting up, friend, a family member, a loved one. Let's, let's just pause and pray for the prodigals this morning. Lord Jesus, would you just uh, place people in our paths this morning? that we could be devoted in prayer for, that we could declare about your marvelous deeds too. And lastly, God, would you just help us to find friends, uh, community, those to disciple. And would you help us as a, as a church to tear down our idols? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Josiah. Uh, awesome message. Uh, I, I am so pleased that God is using you in such a powerful way and, and a powerful way here today. So thank you. Would you stand as we close? To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.